Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, writers. This is Kat Caldwell. I'm the hostess of Pencils and Lipstick, and it is July 2022. Now, this is the first part of the show where I typically talk to you all about what I'm doing with my own writing, what I'm seeing in the industry, who I've been talking with or learning from, what I'm reading, etc. But it's July. So as usual, I have taken my kids to see their grandma for the month. Now, this isn't a typical trip as most Americans would see it. Grandma lives in Spain, and so taking a microphone and all the equipment that I need over there is a little bit tricky with the luggage fees as they are and just making sure that things don't break. I've decided to pre-record just this first part for you throughout the month of July. So we will be getting straight into the interviews during the month of July, 2022. Before we do, and I have some great interviews for you, would you please subscribe to the podcast, share it with other writers or readers who are interested in hearing what writers have to say. You can reach me on Twitter at Pencils Lipstick. You can also follow the show on Instagram at Pencils and Lipstick, all spelled out. If you want to see what Spain looks like, we are in the middle of Spain, pretty much smack dab in there. If you want to see what Spain looks like, you can follow me at catcaldwell.author on Instagram, where I'll be posting reels and pictures, and you can see what we do over there. And I will be back with individualized part ones in August. So happy summer to you all. I hope you're having a wonderful time this summer, and let's get into the show. R.J. Hansen began his love for all things fantasy at the age of five. In 1978, when his mother bought him the Rankin and Bass production of The Hobbit, a 24-page read-along with the record children's book, R.J.'s imagination was opened to a whole new world. Reading Tolkien, R.A. Salvatore, Terry Brooks, Robert E. Howard, Stephen King, and even Louis L'Amour, R.J. began constructing worlds and characters of his own. RJ began writing at the age of 12, however, he didn't begin his writing career until the age of 45. He enjoys the distinction of having scored a touch or touche against an Olympic fencer during a pickup match in college. He's really far too proud of it. In his youth, he worked as a cowboy, having grown up on a small ranch in North Texas. And at the age of 16, he was selected for the TAMS, Texas Academy of Mathematics and Science Project at the University of North Texas. In his spare time, RJ has studied medieval combat and military tactics, as well as arms and armament of various cultures and times. RJ plays in a weekly pen and paper RPG game, Rollmaster game, 
with some close family and friends, and some of the characters played have been around since 1996. His adult children like to joke that some of the characters are older than they are. RJ and his wife Michelle live in a small ranch where they maintain a modest herd of cattle and two very lovable, if a bit clumsy, Great Dane rescues, Pinker and Rose. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pencils and Lipstick. I am here today with RJ Hansen, sword and sorcery fantasy author extraordinaire. I think I said that right, right? (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, RJ? He's got some uh, companions with him that want to be part of the interview. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they uh, they don't get far from me, and uh, they're not always uh, very calm. What? I'm good. I'm in good shape. I'm certainly better than I deserve. <laughs> so would you tell us a little bit about where are you from? Uh, did you grow up in Texas, or did you just live there for a little bit? No, I'm born and raised, uh, you know, within a few miles of where I'm living right okay. now. Yeah, I've been in Texas my whole life. Never lived outside of Texas. All right, so... We lived there for five years, about, in Dallas, and then the company moved us to the East Coast, so we're learning to adapt. <laughs> I did enjoy Texas. Um, so would you tell us a little bit about, about yourself, just a snapshot, I guess, of who RJ is? I guess uh, maybe one of the most unlikely nerds on the planet. Um, I'm a uh, huge gaming nerd, you know, fantasy nerd and uh, love all that stuff. But, you know, born and raised on a small ranch in North Texas. I've lived on our small ranch with the dogs and the cattle and so on for, you know, ever since I can remember. But discovered The Hobbit and Tolkien when I was like, oh, maybe four or five and and loved it wow. and have been just uh you know a huge fan of his and of everything fantasy and of um uh robert e howard's work you know with conan and solomon kane i have always loved that stuff interesting so how did you get your hands on that in north texas probably very busy from sun up to sundown how did you find these books well, my mother, when I was a kid, uh, bought the uh, Ranker and Baskin read-along, you know, with the record okay. that you put on a record player. Some of you may not <laughs> even know what that is, but, you know, a pressed piece of wax that you put on a record player. And uh, it was the little read-along of The Hobbit. And I still have fond memories of that. And some of my, you know, earliest, more comprehensive memories are of reading along with The Hobbit. And I loved it. And I loved the world and uh, everything uh, that that Tolkien did with that. And I've, I've been a huge fan ever since. That's amazing because you wouldn't, I guess these days you wouldn't consider that a five-year-old's book, you know. But, I mean, we are probably close to the same age. And, you know, our parents just chucked at us whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever like they had. Well, the the Brinker and Baskin version, uh, I want to say it came out in 1974. That was really more of a, a children's book, sort of a you know a children's version okay. of The Hobbit. But I loved it That's and so cool. ate it up, and you know, and just consumed as much of that as I could as fast as I could. Wow. Okay. So you've been into fantasy and all that. When when did you get into medieval? I mean, would you consider like the Hobbit is that did that invoke sort of medieval 
imagination in you? Did did you relate it to that? Uh, it, it did for me, okay. um, you know, because you have uh, the idea of, you know, men on a quest and, you know, the whole swords and wizardry and uh, not to mention sort of the medieval style of government, you know, and the, the kings sure. and lordships and baronies and so on. Uh, so, yeah, that really got me into it. And then from there, it was Conan comic books from, you know, way back in the day. And then from there to, you know, reading uh, The Hobbit and reading Lord of the Rings and reading Robert E. Howard's work. And then moved on to R.A. Salvatore, who um, does uh, just an incredible job with different fantasy mm -hmm. worlds and with great depth to his characters very cool so when did you decide to start writing your own epic fantasy because there's definitely a difference between reading and writing a, oh, a oh absolutely i decided to start writing when i was i guess maybe 11 or 12 okay. and i can remember you know watching you know a television show or watching a movie or reading a book and I was a bit of a cocky child. I was a little bit full of myself. But I remember watching, you know, these television shows or these movies or whatever and thinking, well, that's just stupid. Why would you do that? That character wouldn't do this. This plot development is dumb. And when it occurred to me that if I was the one writing the story, I could control that right. and I could change that. As you know, I started writing my own stuff. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> one of my favorite things to tell people is I used to rewrite the endings to books because oh. I didn't like how they ended. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. It is it yeah. is a bit cocky of us, isn't it? To be like, oh, I can just <laughs> Yeah, you just you know, you have kind of your own uh, I guess maybe that's where uh, the idea of fan fiction came <laughs> from. You know, the idea of okay, this isn't right. I'm going to fix it and I'm going to have my own head cannon for it. That's that's how we we'll do that. Imagine if we had the internet back then and we could have <laughs> had all this documented. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm actually glad that, that that's not documented, honestly. Oh, I am too. I mean, thank God there was no such thing as a camera phone when I was growing up or when I was <laughs> a young man. No kidding. Uh, so you started writing. Were, were you writing... Um, just sort of writing the short things or, you know, television things, or were you thinking of a book? It was um, always very, uh, fairly short mm -hmm. stories. Um, when I first started, uh, it was very short stories. And I really didn't have like a, an overall huge lengthy story uh, that I wanted to tell until about 96, mm -hmm. I think, is when the ideas started coming together for um, the Bloodlines Reforged Saga. Interesting. So the, it starts as a seed, I guess, in your head. How long yeah. did you think about it? Because you're you're kind of into uh, role-playing games and things. That it, did that help contribute oh, to, to being able to build on that idea and make it possible as a book? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, there are uh, a lot of things in my books that, well, you know, we, uh, me and the uh, other guys that I game with, we talk about, you know, it really happened. Well, it happened <laughs> in, in the game. game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but for us, it's, it's yeah. real because it's in the moment and, and you're there. 
But yeah, and uh, I started when I started uh, college in 1990. I was uh, introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess maybe it was '89. And then shortly thereafter, moved to another pen and paper RPG, which is like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's just a lot more math. Um, and it's called Rollmaster. And uh, I've been playing that ever since. That's interesting. And uh, that's where a lot of the stories and a lot of the scenes in the books come from are ideas from homebrew campaigns and distinct characters. And it's something that gives a lot of the characters depth. Right. Because a lot of these characters that I, you know, that I talk about in the books that are that are involved in the story were played by real people. You know, their decisions are being made by real people. Okay. And uh, and actually quite a number of them were played by me. So they're different aspects of my decision making process and, and like thoughts about interesting things. or like how how it played out in the game. So are these games medieval as well? Are they set as like a, yes. a sort of what do you think it is about the medieval time? Is it because of the kings and the way that things were set up? I think Really, what I think it is, and I, you may have uh, some difficulty getting some other pen and paper RPGers to admit to this, but in my opinion, I really think it's the romance of it. Huh. And and I don't mean, you know, like, uh, here's your hero and here's your damsel, right. you know, or that, but it's the idea, although unrealistic as it is. The idea that a lot of us have of those medieval times, you know, an idea of a man taking on a quest and devoting his life to something, you know, the idea of a person taking an oath and willing to shed blood, especially their own over an oath. Right. You know, it's those uh, those concepts, I think, that speak to the people who really, really love uh, that genre, that time frame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as you forget about the diseases. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, as long as you uh, scratch off the lack of bathing (laughs) and the frequent dysentery and and the fleas, yeah, it's very romantic. it's very romantic. (laughs) (laughs) I love love history and I love learning about it. And somebody really ruined it for me one time where they're like, just imagine that they all had like a constant toothache. And I thought, oh, I forgot about oh, teeth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, that you know, little things that I love from history and little things of tradition that stick mm-hmm. with us. You know, like um, you know, the reason that most weddings uh, were in June is because everybody would take their yearly bath toward the end of May. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, and and the um, concept of flowers at a wedding was to attempt to overcome the body of. Oh my gosh, we're so <laughs> gross. Up things, things up a little bit. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you you forget. Although you know, we might be over perfuming at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> we we may have taken it a little, a little too, too far. far yeah. Yes, when you get on the metro, yeah. and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to faint from all. <laughs> so when did you start writing um bloodlines reforged is that that's the name of the series overall right yeah that's that's like the overall saga um thus far it's comprised of four different series 
which sort of follow different groups of characters. Uh, and there may be more series in the future, but overall, all of these different series overlap. There's crossover, and it's you know one huge long story. Oh my gosh! So how did you start this? How, did you have like the whole arc of the story of all the series before you started the first oh, no. book? Oh okay. no! No. Uh, when I first started making any notes about it at all. Um, was with a character that I rolled up or that I put together for this for the pen and paper RPG game that okay. I play, uh, who was Roland. And I made him in 1996. Okay. And uh, I've been playing him off and on ever since. Um, you know, like my kids like to joke that he's as old as they are. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's been living in my head ever since. Yes. But after he got some you know, some experience under his belt after a few gaming sessions. And, uh, and frankly, I just got very lucky with him. And I really started to like this guy a lot. I thought, you know, I need to keep track of some of the things he's done, okay. you know, document his adventures and so on and so forth. And then I thought, well, how much more cool would it be to add some flavor to that, you know, and really create a story. Huh. And, uh, and it just kind of built from there. So he started out, but you have to add all of these other characters, right? Did you play almost every main character or or did they just sort of come? I, I played uh, quite a few of them. Uh, you know, I played Roland. Uh, Roland's good buddy, Eldrin, in the in the books, was played by a really good friend of mine that I was gaming okay. with at the time. Lady Drew, who's in the uh, Fires That Forge or the Lords of Order and Chaos series, was played by my wife. Um, when, you know, when we were gaming, uh, Rogash, who's, you know, uh, half ogre, half dwarf was played by my son, uh, Jandanero, who's a drow queen was played by my daughter. Oh, this is um, fun. I played, oh yeah, I played Doomwell, uh, in the game and I played Silas. Okay. Which was uh, kind of odd because, well, if you get into it, those two are sort of two sides of the same coin but that gets pretty meta oh that's in a hurry. so you kind of have like your whole family in there oh yeah and you know a, ma- a majority of the uh of the main characters there's you know i can i can point to somebody and say yeah so and so did that and, you know this one played that and so on okay so then you started taking notes but you have to like writing a book still is is much different than taking notes or playing oh, so how did you find that process um like was it enjoyable to you to to write out their story in more detail and sort of connect it all i loved it and i'm terrified yeah, yeah i think like all of us it's um <laughs> yeah it's it is very enjoyable um I, you know, I know a lot of writers talk about writer's block and that's never been an issue for that's me. Nice. writer's block has never been a problem what halts me is I've got things about the way that I want them. And I'm afraid that if I continue to work on it, I'm going to screw it oh, up no. and I need to leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's like uh, the sculptor who's like, okay, one little more piece and then you chip it, everything cracks and you start all over. <laughs> that would scratch. be terrible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, when it's going well, when it's you can feel the story and you can see, 
you know, the characters and know what they're going through and know how they're going to react. And it's just flowing. It's it's an incredible experience. So you've never really had trouble knowing what the plot of of each book is going to be or like you obviously already know the characters. So you kind of I guess the character development you already have there. But did you know, like every story sort of as you go? Maybe once you finish one book, did you know the other or did you know them sort of before you started or how did that work out? Well, it's I know where the story begins okay. and I know not necessarily how it ends, but I know where it's going to get to eventually. Okay. It's getting from A to Z, you know, that I'm big, you know, that you, that you have to go through and figure out. And for the most part, I know what's going to happen in, in every book. Okay. You know, if you've got. I don't know, a couple of days to kill. I can, you know, sit down and tell you the whole story. <laughs> yeah. But the the trick is to make those transitions, for me anyway, the trick is to make those transitions interesting. Okay. You know, why would so-and-so help so-and-so? Why would this one make that decision? Um, okay, I know these two guys are going to trap this guy, but exactly how do they do it? And how do I display how clever they right. are? Because these two characters are smarter than I am. And so, yeah. you know, like it's going to, I have to imagine what somebody smarter than me would do and then, you know, have them. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you seek out like any sort of writing craft help or did you just sort of wait until you could work it out in your head of, of how you were going to get your characters to? tell you how to write them basically <laughs> for me anyway the the process as far as knowing what the character is going to do it's uh it's sort of two-sided mm. one uh like when you run an rpg campaign when you're running a you know a, a pen and paper rpg campaign okay. and you've got a number of people sitting around the table and they're all playing different characters and it's your job to run the world and be all the bad guys and so on it always made a much more interesting story for me. And it seemed to sort of write itself when instead of just saying, okay, A, B, and C is going to happen. It's so much easier to adjust to what the players are going to do to mess up A, B, and C to just decide what the bad guy thinks and what he wants oh, okay, and how he thinks. And then once you kind of know how, you know, how your bad guy thinks, as different things happen, it's easier to understand how he's going to react to them and what he's going to do. Oh, that's an interesting way to do it. So really understanding your antagonist more than just trying to force everyone to go along, I guess, the plot line in case. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And it's uh, and for me, it makes it so much more interesting when you've got a uh, when you've got an antagonist that people can either identify with or at the very least understand. Yeah. You know, because it's very rare uh, that you run across a good story where your bad guy is, I'm bad guy A, and I want to destroy the world. Right. Why? Um, because I'm a bad yeah. guy. That's just dumb. <laughs> That's boring. <laughs> you know. But, you know, when your bad guy has got his reasons and, you know, your reader or, you know, or your player sort of begins to understand those reasons, it makes the game or the book that much more interesting that much more engaging yeah i can see that because you're then your main character is going to make decisions not just because they have to go 
get the sword or rescue the dam- damsel, but because they have to figure out how to either defeat the guy or avoid the guy or whatever. I guess you could have a bad lady right. too. So. <laughs> well, and the, oh yeah, absolutely. And you have to figure out why they would want to do yeah. that. You know, it's not just that the good guy wants to rescue the damsel and the bad guy wants her in the tower. Or it's not just that the good girl wants to rescue, you know, the young groom and the bad girl wants to keep him in the tower. It's you have to figure out why each of those three characters is where they're at right. and why they want to do what they right. want to do. Right. I, I feel like especially these days when kids are, are, I don't know about you, but I feel like they're smarter than me. So <laughs> they're they're probably looking, you know, if they already have experience in these role playing games, they're going to be looking for a story that isn't flat that is just as animated and just as you know four-dimensional as they're they're playing so absolutely oh there's there's no doubt that in the last 30 to 40 years um at least in the popular versions of storytelling just across the board has had to become more involved more complicated and more mature interesting because the audience is more complicated, more involved, and more mature. Yeah, yeah. You know, you go back and watch a movie from the 1970s, and you're like, how did I find this interesting? (laughs) All we had. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because it's all we had. It was like, I got to sit in front of the television. Like, that's why we were cool with it. (laughs) My kids won't watch anything from before 2000. And, like, we're really pushing it at 2000. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're missing out guys yeah. and they're like no we're not you know uh, yeah. um so you have just like tolstoy we were talking before about tolstoy's maps and he got really involved in his stuff so you have a map as well did you does that oh the uh yeah the uh tolkien stuff for uh the Hobbit yeah, and Lord yeah. Of the Rings and all that. do you yeah. have a language as well did you get into that Oh no, I am I am nowhere near uh, Tolkien's level of backstory and research. And, yeah, he's pretty yeah, crazy. No, I, I I make no claims <laughs> to anything even close to that. And it, you know, he was the master of that, no doubt. But in my opinion, uh, you've also got to balance that with things that the reader is going to want to read and mm-hmm. be engaged in. Yeah. You, you need it deep enough. That it does give it that feel of of realism. Mm-hmm. You know, you need it deep enough, researched enough, or enough backstory that it gives it that third dimension. Right. You know, like you said earlier, it's you know, you don't want it just flat. Yeah. You know, you don't you you need that third dimension. And in my mind, part of what adds that is that sort of mechanical substructure that all these characters live in. Okay. And that they have to live by. Okay. Interesting. So how did you find out? So if you're set in the medieval times, I mean, I guess you have a couple of writers before you who have, who have done some research, but how, how did you know how to describe their living conditions and, you know, their daily life or, or like the court or the markets or the streets or, you know, how did you how much research did you do or did you do any traveling or how do you know that sort of to give that detail? Well, looking back on it, I've been researching that my whole life okay. because it's always interested me. I just always found it interesting, you know, uh, reading uh, history books, reading 
the really old uh, novels, but like the Song of Roland, mm. uh, which is what uh, I want to say, uh, like a 14th century poem about a knight from the 11th century. I love the Song of Roland. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but I loved it. And that's obviously, you know, we're part of where my main character, one of them, his name comes from. But there was so much input from that in the way the knights referred to each mm. other. You know, the way Roland sort of talked trash to his stepdad in front of the king, in front of Charlemagne. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he gets away with it because, you know, Roland's kind of a bad dude. And the king's like, well, he's really handy to have around. And you are kind of a schmuck. He's sort of right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've, I've been reading that stuff and consuming it ever since I could remember. So it's a lot about just how, how much you've read just throughout your life. Um, it wasn't so much research, but it's just like oh, consuming it as you go. And plenty of 1970s, 1980s B movies. Lots, Lots of those. Of those. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of those. Have other people do it. That's good. I love it. Oh, <laughs> we actually, we lived in France for five years and we lived outside of Carcassonne. And so one of the first times that I could actually see a walled city, because I could not envision it as a kid. I couldn't, you know, our cities are so big. Oh, it's hard to get yeah, your head around. You can't wrap yeah. your head around. And I just like, I, I saw it as such a cartoonish thing, you know, like that's one of the yeah. best things about traveling is going in and, and seeing it and thinking, oh, okay, now I see this and the poor schmucks that are outside the wall. They get get slaughtered first. (laughs) They're just on their own. (laughs) That's that's your problem. Too bad for you. Hope you have a good sword. (laughs) So one thing I wanted to talk to you about is the fighting. So you have your sword and sorcery saga. So I assume there's a little bit of fighting, a lot of fighting. There's swords. Uh, Yeah, Uh, there's there's plenty of combat. I do love writing those scenes. And it can be, you know, I I suppose it can be a bit much for some people as far as some of it gets pretty gory. I mean, it's uh, I keep all the books PG, you know, try to keep any cursing out of it. There's no sex stuff in it. You know, kind of all the romance is okay. fade to black. You know, they start kissing, fade to black. Next chapter, we're moving on. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, the violence is pretty, uh, can get pretty gory. And I like the details of the combat hmm. um, because in my opinion, that tells you it, it's an excellent vehicle to view the real nature, the true character of a person okay. is how they behave in that situation. Um, do they go for the cheap shot? <laughs> you know, do they maintain their honor and, Oh, you've dropped your sword. You know, you can pick it back up. Interesting. And, you know, what, how, how driven are they? You know, um, how much pain will they endure before they go, okay, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. This hurts. You can have it. <laughs> you know, just let me crawl away. From Interesting. You. So uh, you learn a great deal about a, a person as to what they're willing to endure. Okay. To accomplish what they want. So how much how much thinking happens while you are fighting? Like, have you ever thought uh, like, I've, I don't do any fighting. (laughs) (laughs) I've always kind of wondered, you know, I I would assume a lot of it is training, right? So you're, you're kind of, um, 
I mean, we, mm-hmm. I did a lot of dancing. So you do the same thing over and over and over again so that you don't have to think on stage, right? You just do it. You're you like, you know what you're doing. So when you're fighting, is it, right. is it mostly instinct, but you're saying like, there are moments where you have to make a decision. Like if they drop their sword or if, or if you're going to run away or I assume those, those are thought processes. Oh, I absolutely. Know. Or, you know, or where you're going to strike. And, okay. um, I guess the the easiest way I could relate it is maybe like if you've ever played a video game that's uh, like a first person shooter. Yeah. And, you know, those are very fast paced, a lot of them. And you're making split second decisions. Okay, I need to slide over here to get to cover. Okay, now I need to reload. Okay, now I need to jump up and track. And okay, now he's on target. Now I'm going to shoot. You know, it's a mix of making those split second decisions and thinking about them. Right. But then the reflexes built into your hands, operating the controller or the mouse or the keyboard or, or whatever to play the game. Um, it's very similar to the real thing, to, to hand-to-hand combat or, or any other uh, sort of combat. Okay, so you didn't... Where, you know, one human goes against yeah, another. Yeah, you didn't find that difficult to explain in words. I mean, I can see, like, it visual, but when you're sitting down to write, you didn't find it difficult to to lay out the scene in words so that other other readers who maybe haven't done the fighting would understand? Well, uh, something that, that, yeah, I'm just going to say it, and it will make me sound cocky, but uh, I don't think you can write well about being knocked out Unless you've been knocked out before. Okay. You know, you have to know what it feels yeah. like. So you would suggest that um, people fi- get some sort of physical experience. Maybe they don't need to be knocked out. That would be tough. But <laughs> but some sort of physical experience in fighting, combat, sword, if they're going to write it. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, or, you know, any physical activity you know i think um you know somebody who's played uh, some serious football or rugby or or soccer or you know or anything like that uh has an idea of that competitive person against person mm-hmm. conflict yeah and the quick decisions you have to make the way that your body will absolutely ignore pain sometimes right. you know that you're not even aware of until after the fact and other times uh, a certain type of pain or, or something will happen that steals your breath and all you can do is collapse. Yeah. And kind of know the difference you know, it's, between that. Oh, absolutely. interesting. I yeah. love that. So when you, when you started writing these, most of these, so as I look at your books, you decided to come out with them, a lot of them in 2019, was that a decision? Like marketing wise, like what do they call it? Rapid releasing? Was that, or did you just come out with them because they were done? Was there any strategy behind that? Uh, I decided, uh, well, 2019, uh, compared, to, compared to the year since then, anyway, for me, uh, was a relatively uh, inactive year. And I decided, you know, I set myself goals of no matter what else happens. Before I go to bed every day, I'm going to write 1,500 words. Okay. No matter what happens, I'm going to do it until this 
till this trilogy is complete. And that first um, one is and, the uh, Saga Bloodlines? Uh, that's the uh, the first in that series is Fires That Forge. Fires That Forge. Okay. Yeah. So you just, every and day, 1,500 uh, words. Yes. And, and about two weeks into it, I really regretted <laughs> making that decision. <laughs> but um, uh, one thing I have always prided myself about uh, is if I make a decision to hold myself to something, I do it. It seemed to have worked out well and, for uh, you because you got all of them yeah. out, all three of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then, yeah, it's worked out really well. And now I've been mired in book four of that series ever since. <laughs> <laughs> well, even and you know, pushing back release date and pushing back release date. So, so you had three of those that series out, the fires that forge. You have yeah, uh, fires that forge, uh, bloom of blood and bone, and whetstones of the will. Okay, and then whetstones of the will, and then what was? You have two others that you published in twenty twenty. Were they of a different series? Uh, Death um, of a City. Oh, uh, that's a collection of short stories. Okay, well, I mean that I put out. So you you yeah. came out with like one. Like, oh my goodness, like so many books in 2020. I mean, co- yeah, and then um, in 2021, uh, I added a few short stories to Death of a City, and my son and I collaborated on a uh, total change of genre, which was a uh, play that I wrote set in 1960, Texas. Oh, fine. And is sort of a it's sort of a historical fiction. Um, my son is uh, an actor, sometimes struggling more than others, uh, and you know works out of the Dallas community and knows a lot of folks and knows a lot about that sort oh, of thing. Cool. I've never written a play before, but I kind of had an idea for something I wanted to do, and he helped me a great deal with it. And um, so we put together that, and that came out not too long ago. Uh, Fatherland. Oh, that's really fun. I love how much you do with your family. That's wonderful. So you have the, I mean, you said it was, so it's not a trilogy now that you have the fourth book or you, or is the fourth book really the first book of another series? It's well, it's, um, it's the fourth book in that series, um, but it's the first book in okay. another trilogy in that series. So they're kind of <laughs> like branching off. They're all connected to the same the right. same area but yeah then... and it's really uh it's it's like a tree growing back <laughs> uh, you know you have book one of this series way out over here on this yeah. end of the limb and book one of that series way out over here and then they come down and branch out and overlap but you know they eventually all come down to the trunk of the tree and it you know leads to to one story wonderful so that one is still being worked on or is that one coming out yeah, I ran into two or three scenes in in book four of the Lords of Order and Chaos series, which were really difficult hmm. because I've got some very intelligent protagonists and very powerful protagonists and even more intelligent and powerful antagonists. Ooh. So, you know, you can't just lazily 
okay, the good guys show up and then the bad guys lose and then they move on. You know, you've really got to work your way for me. Anyway, you've got to work your way through that. Honestly, like, okay, how do they, you know, defeat these odds? How would they go about, you know, defeating this? And, um, you know, I spent three weeks writing two pages uh, for one of those scenes because it was, so complex and because every character you know in this battle is so intelligent and so resourceful you know that okay this would be their response okay then how would they react and you know that i'd spend a day or two thinking about (laughs) their reaction and so on it's you know it's like it's kind of like uh playing uh chess but instead of the chess board having you know, two ends and, you know, two teams, it's a chessboard where you've got eight or 10 and they're all making moves and, and you're trying to keep all those, you know, track of all those. Yeah. But I appreciate you saying that though, because in this day and age of like people, I feel like some, some people are trying to write as quickly as possible. And in the end we do come across scenes that have issues. And sometimes you do spend days literally just thinking about it and writing and then tossing it and rewriting and, you know, deleting words. (laughs) And that's just part of the process that I think, I think we kind of in America want to feel like we can rush through that, but sometimes it's it's Uh, better not to. Yeah. uh, Yeah. um, yeah, And there's a huge push, especially with indie Mm -hmm. authors, Um, you know, a huge push to just crank it out. Yeah. You know, build your backlist, get a lot of books out there. Um, And, you know, marketing wise, there's a lot of wisdom behind that. But, and, and, you know, like, you know, in 2019, I did manage to do that, but it was by setting some very strict daily goals for Mm -hmm. myself and really cranking through those. Um, But, uh, you know, well, then again, this this is also going to sound a little bit, maybe a little bit self-important, but this story means too much right. to me <laughs> to, to hurry yeah. through anything. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like a, um, I don't, uh, like a, uh, a carpenter who's building a house for his family. Mm-hmm. He's not cutting any corners. He wants it exactly how it needs to be. You know, he's taking his time to do it right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about it. It's, you know, it's, I, I love this story. It's a huge part yeah. of me. And um, I, I want to make it. <laughs> well, this, that goes back to the gaming thing. I want to make it as accurate as possible is what I started to say. But, you know, I'm making it all up. But um, I want to make it as genuine right. as possible. Yeah, especially if those characters are going to be in other books, you can't. I mean, if you sort of let them fall flat on book four and then pick it up again, you know, we all notice that whenever we're reading a series, we're like, yeah, the, that's the author's oh, worst yeah. book. <laughs> like we yeah. know what happened, but I think there's also to your point of there, there's a, a business strategy of writing where you're just sort of writing the, I don't want to say junk food, but kind of the stuff that's just to be consumed to feed the moment. Yeah. And then there are the books that we all keep on our shelves because we savor them and we reread them. 
you know, and there's just a difference right. there. You know, there are some books you won't well, buy on Kindle because you want them physically. It's, you know, a good book or a good series is like a good cake. Yes. It's got the icing, but it's also got the cake and the cake is really good right. too. And if you want to crank out a bunch and just, you know, give people bowls of icing, they're going to love it. Right. But after a while, it's too much. Um, well, number one, they're going to have some stomach <laughs> issues. But, um, you know, after a while, they're going to get sick of that and they're never going to go back to that. Right. You know, whereas if if it is. If it has that substance with the icing. That will draw. Yes. Back. And that's something else that I try to do with the overall, you know, huge arc of this thing is to make it rereadable mm-hmm. because uh, I have always loved stories that when you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, wow, I, I totally missed that. Right. And you go back and reread yep. it. And as you're rereading it, you're like, it was right there in front yep. of me. How did I miss yep. it? You know? And and you could read it several times and pick up so many new things or so many little nuances that you missed the first time that you now see or you know are important. Yeah, yeah. I I used to I'll pick it up and try to find that one scene that's my favorite scene and just <laughs> read it. You know. Oh, oh you yeah. Know? So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Just the one. You know. The, okay, I love this exchange between this character and this character, and I want to go back to that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I. Love that you're taking your time. Um, and because it's sort of in contrast, like you were saying, with the indie industry, indie, and you know, everyone makes their own decisions, but it's okay to slow down, it's okay to take some pride. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe I'm misusing the words, but like a little bit more time and savoring and wanting the book for something else, not just to be read and put aside, but to be reread. That's a different way of writing. That's a different way of using the craft. Yeah. And, you know, both are valid business decisions, but I, I love hearing that other yeah. side as we're kind of inundated with this rapid, get those 20 books out now. <laughs> it's like, right. Well, and that's, you know, that's the other thing somebody asked me um, a while back about, you know, what advice would you give some you know new authors or young writers and so on and it hadn't really crystallized in my own mind until they asked me that question but the long and the short of it is if you want to be a writer and you want to sit and type and write things research the market figure out what genre is selling the best Mm -hmm. and then crank out a crap load of books in that genre Crank them out as hard and fast as you can, if that's why you want to be a writer. If you want to be a writer because you have a story to tell, take your time, do it right, and tell your story. Right. And tell it your way. Yes. Yes. I, I really do like that. I, I, I appreciate that because I think we can get bogged down with, they have 20 books, they have 30 books, they have four, I only have two, like, well. It just depends yeah. on, on what you want to do yeah. with it, right? So where... Well, and uh, it, it makes me think of, of all the weird things for uh, this to come from. Uh, Wyatt Earp, you know, the famous yeah. uh, Western lawman. Uh, it's been the subject of so many stories, books, yep. dime novels, and so on. His advice in regard to uh, a gunfight 
is what it makes me think of is learn to take your time in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of a balance. That's true. That's true. You do have to get those words on the page, no matter <laughs> right. at some yeah. point. Right. Um, so I will have the links in the show notes. Um, people can find you at bloodlinesforge.com. And then you have a wonderful um, Facebook group, which is pretty fun because it's pretty role playing. I, I just love how you welcome people in to not, not mind, uh, mind the gap. Don't spill the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So they can, I'll have the links for that as well in the show notes. So thank you so much, RJ, for coming in and sharing with us all about your books and your writing journey. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Oh, and um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. There's also a Wikipedia page okay. uh, that Cora Baskerville uh, wrote, uh, who, and she is a um, remarkable archivist. Wonderful. I love that. <laughs> and has done a lot of uh, deep diving into uh, the lore of Stratvis and, you know, the Bloodlines Reforged uh, saga. And uh, has done a really great job with Perfect. it. Perfect. Wonderful. And and for anyone really look already writing sort of sword and sorcery or epic fantasy or I mean you're I love how your website has the the family tree, you know, all on there. Everyone's all the characters. Um so if anyone's looking yeah. at uh, hints on how to do that yourself for your own stories, definitely head on over to Bloodlines Reforged. They'll help you out because <laughs> you have everything there. So I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, RJ. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.